welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Guyana and Arliss. And today we're talking all about uh, consent around bodies and body autonomy. Yeah, I'm so excited about this topic because, you know, Arliss, just like we had talked about a little bit growing up, I remember being told, you know, hug this person, do this, do that, instead of being allowed to you know, make those sort of decisions for myself. Did you have that experience as well growing up? Absolutely. I think that it's common practice, especially in American society. Children show some kind of affection or deference to their elders, and that could be in the form of a hug or a kiss. And I remember, you know, being a child and being kind of confused. Like, why why would I choose to hug this person that I'm not even sure I recognize or know? You know, but there's a lot of movement around taking this practice and changing it to give children more control over uh, what they choose to do. And I know you did some research around that. So I would love to learn from you, Diana. Um, what did you learn? I did not get to do nearly as much research as I had hoped, <laughs> which is funny. But I think I just think that overall, as a concept, as I was reading a little bit about it, what I thought was really interesting was that it was a mindset shift from the way that I grew up, from the way that you grew up, and that you know many of the things sometimes that we do take for granted about our bodies are again these learned beliefs. We're we're conditioned in a way, and sometimes we don't even see that it's happening. Like I didn't, I didn't get to be so aware about it um, to learn more about it. <laughs> but I think that it's it's just something that overall, I can see how there are still spaces where I'm def, you know, where I feel a little like I have to defer to somebody else when it comes to my body, or like I find in a lot of different spaces. Many times it's more comfortable for me to shrink instead of to expand and to take up space. Um, and there's actually, uh, like, I actually find it on honestly, like, kind of comforting to like shrink and to to not take up space. There's something about that that feels safe, and I think that that is, you know, somehow rooted in this idea of like, of not feeling um, safe in my own body or like I have autonomy over it. Absolutely. One of the examples of new ways of giving children body autonomy um, is through this practice of making a, a, a board or a chart or a poster where when the student comes into the class, they get to choose what kind of exchange they do with their, their teacher when they come into their class. So it used to be, you know, you're expected to hug your teacher or something like that. But now um, children are given the option to just wave hi or to do a high five or to give a hug. The teacher responds in kind. And I've seen videos of children going into classrooms that way. And it's awesome because they all choose different things and they're learning that they get to choose. They get to choose what happens with their body and who um, interacts with it or not. And I also want to speak to, you know, what, what you said about feeling safe in one's body. And I think that COVID has really kind of opened the door for this in a way that we may not think about, you know, um, it's very normal, quote unquote, normal in our culture, when you meet somebody to shake their hand or give them a hug or a kiss on the cheek or something like that, um, especially in Hawaii. I mean, we're, we're very, you know, most people here are very loving and want to do that. It's part of the culture here. And I, I have had friends who never felt comfortable doing those things. Um, had no idea how to communicate that. And with COVID, where those things have now changed and are not part of normal practice so much anymore, they now feel safe in their bodies because they can say, you know, I'm not interested in hugging today because of COVID or, or whatever it is. Wow. I never even thought about that. Thank you for bringing that up. That's such a, that's such a thing to think about because I had thought about, you know, well, for kids to learn this, I think is fascinating to learn at a very early age. Like I have body autonomy and I was like, how does this play out when they're older? And I was thinking about, you know, how do they network? How do, how do they do those sort of things? 
And it's interesting to see how through our evolution as human beings, some of these things just arise and come to the surface and allow for us to understand them a little bit more. Absolutely. And, you know, I read an article um, by a blogger uh, named Alana today around how consent is is a new version of a love language you know, consent Mm -hmm. around bodies and it extends much further now, um, especially with COVID, you know, so like before consent used to be all about, um, you know, touching bodies or contact with bodies or that sort of thing. But now consent is around, is around like, who are people going to be around, like physically be around. Um, And uh, does does it does that mean safety, you know, to the person that is their partner? Um, and everybody has like these different values of what safety are in, in COVID world, right? And so um, mm-hmm. being in a place with our loved ones where we are sharing all of the information about the situations and people that we're going to be around so that they can have informed consent. Um, so to speak. So it's it's taking this idea around consent around bodies, and it's actually not about touching bodies um, at all. It's about just even who we're around. Yeah, um, our it's almost like our beingness on a lot on a lot of different levels because it's not just about um, someone touching us. It's about what we're thinking. It's about who we're around. Who what it is we're surrounding ourselves with, the situations we're putting ourselves in. And so I'm hearing like a greater awakening and connection between consent and and mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this mindfulness married with honesty and vulnerability, being willing to be mindful and then share the details, all of the details um, with their partners or their family members or their friends or even acquaintances so that people can can make the decision for themselves. I think that's brilliant. And sometimes it, it reminds me of that concept of sometimes we don't even think that we have the ability to make that decision, right? It just gets handed to us. And I'm hearing just greater openness and with that allows for greater choice. And I think that that's, that's something that like, all of us really need. And, you know, I can think of times that I didn't want to hug somebody or felt objectified or, you know, any of those sort of things. And I think it's, it's interesting to see or think about, you know, how, how our bodies, how other people can react towards our bodies, whether, you know, even just outside of them touching us or any of those sort of things. What do you, like, what are your sort of feelings on how other people consume our bodies, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when we talked about discussing this topic uh, for this podcast, it really reminded me of a story of an experience that I experienced with a really good friend of mine. It was somebody that I have been friends with for over you know, 10 years. He's an awesome person. Um, he and I have only ever been friends, You know, no, no, nothing in the sexual realm at all. And he and I were texting one day and, and I had to go and get in the shower and I texted, Hey, I'm going to jump in the shower and then I'll be back and we can, you know, continue the conversation. And when I got back to my phone, he had said, Oh, you make me so hot or something like that, or that's so hot. And I was really shocked. And because, you know, our relationship had never been in that realm at all. And he and I had not had a consent conversation around that, which I believe that consent conversations are not just around physical touch. Um, They are around words too. And um, I wrote back to this person and I said, you know, you don't have my consent to um, objectify or sexualize me in that way. I don't make you feel anything. You know, we don't make each other feel anything. Uh, Would love for you to take responsibility for your own feelings. And I did say it in the most gentle way I could think to say it. 
Um, and there was some hard discussion after that for a little bit. And, and then it's been resolved uh, very well. But it just reminded me of how pervasive, um, you know, sexualization or objectification of bodies is um, without consent and how pervasive the, the talk and the belief of this person made me feel a certain way is. And, and I don't agree with either one of those. One of the things that I really love about you, Arliss, is your ability to find a way to convey a message in a way that's clear, but at the same time, very, very clear about like kindness for the person and also, you know, your space and where, you know, where your line lies or your boundary lies. And I think that that's, that's exemplary. I don't think many people do that in that way. So I just want to honor you um, because I, I see that in you. I think you're you're a great leader in that way. Um, so again, go back, listen back to what she said because those are brilliant words to use in a situation where you feel objectified or where you know, someone does not have your consent to sexualize or objectify your body. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for that. And what I have grown to learn in, in my 36 years is that um, shaming people and making them wrong never allows for growth. It just doesn't. You know, people get so mired down in those types of, be in those types of feelings and behaviors. You know that as, uh, you know, the type of coach that you are. Um, and so my you know, I want to clearly state my boundary and I want to always leave the door open for growth. And that's my goal with when I'm interacting with people. And, and one of my boundaries is, is, um, cross. Do you have, um, a story or an example where a boundary around consent around your body was crossed and maybe you didn't respond in a way that you, like looking back, aren't excited about, or maybe you did respond in a way that you're excited about and, and you can share us that example, either one. Yeah, I'm going to take it in a totally different direction. It's still going to be about showers though. <laughs> awesome. So my husband and I, when we visited Xi'an in China, um, we went to this like spa. It was like a hot spring. Like it was a really beautiful place, but the showers, you know, are separate for men and women. And all the showers were taken. So I waited for my turn for an empty shower. I'm in the shower, showering like a normal person would, when all of a sudden the door opens and a Chinese woman walks in and starts to shower with me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, I'll, you go ahead and finish. Like, take it out. I'll just hang out here. And when you're done, I'll continue showering kind of thing. But she's like, she just came in. And that was not something that I had <laughs> consented to in any sort of way or anything like that. But at the same time, allowed for me to have a little bit of open-mindedness in like, this is a different culture and their, their customs are different. And so we all have different concepts of, um, of consent with our bodies or what's okay and what's not. And I, my message in that, I guess, is that through all of this, we all make mistakes or mm -hmm. don't do something and offend somebody else or break somebody else's boundary. And it's okay for us to do that and to learn. And it's really, as you were saying about the growth that happens after it's about, you know, did you, you know, like do you chalk it up to something just silly and funny? Do, are you able to, you know, are you able to grow the relationship as you, as you shared in your story? Uh, I think it's just something that's uh, that's really a transformational opportunity when a boundary is crossed to find love and to to find a like common understanding and growth. Absolutely, I love that. And what I hear um, in the subtext of what you're saying is it's about honoring um, that a boundary was crossed, independent of what the intent was, right? Yeah, and yeah. like recognizing as well that somebody who crosses a boundary for us can be coming from somewhere very different. 
Yeah. And rarely is it ever done in with like malintent. You know, there's no, there's not necessarily always somebody who's trying to be harmful. And so for me, I feel like that's important because sometimes we want to lash out or have that sort of response. Like I, I've definitely had those sort of responses where like if I felt objectified or, you know, like if somebody grabbed me on, on the subway when I was going to high school in New York City, um, I I responded in a certain way. And again, as I get older, it's like realizing that there are ways to still hold that boundary with a little bit more grace. Because um, I think sometimes when we're younger, as we're developing that boundary, sometimes um, we can be a little more forceful with it. What was your mm-hmm. experience with like starting to learn how to set that for yourself? Yeah, um, I, re- I remember in the very beginning when I first started having boundary issues coming up, which was around 12 years old, when I looked, I looked like a 21 or 25 year old woman. I mean, if you didn't look at my face closely and how young my face looked, my body was very mature for its age. And I remember being just very fearful when that first started and um, almost like shutting down, you know, and I know that that is a really common response for people when they um, are first experiencing, you know, objectification or sexualization or just aggressive behavior towards their body, um, that shutting down and really not knowing what to do. And so I remember having those feelings um, and feeling kind of like almost trapped in my body as people were saying things to me or whatever was going on and not being able to like verbally say, hey, I have a boundary here. And then when I got older and was able to verbally um, say things back, I got angry, (laughs) like really angry, like scary angry. And, um, you know, a lot of people that knew me in my like high school and college time, they told me like, you're scary. You were scary. (laughs) Um, And, and so, uh, and I think that now, um, when something like that happens, I, you know, I do what you, you're talking about, you know, really coming from a place of grace and also a place of strength and clearly stating what my boundary is um, without really trying to shame the person. And it also depends, you know, how abrupt I am or that sort of thing depends on what's going on. You know, it's very different to be communicating with somebody over the phone or in text than it is to be communicating with somebody in front of you who just, you know, grabbed your butt on the subway. That's a totally different communication that's going to happen there. Um, And, and being able to demark that that boundary has been crossed. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's hard, it's hard to navigate it sometimes and stay in the gracious, gentle place that I want to be in my life. Um, and it takes skill and it takes a lot of practice and I'm still working on it and I don't do it perfectly every time. Yeah, same. I think it's, it's simply just growing in the awareness of it, right? Where you just get a little better at it, hopefully, or it doesn't take you nearly as long to get out of that, that anger or whatever so that you, you come back to that place. I find that sometimes difficult, right? To, um, to not want to react immediately. That's, that's often where I find I feel challenged. And when I do, I, I really try and recognize as well, you know, action that I take out of this place of anger, out of this place of uh, constrictive emotion, it's really coming from a place of fear. So mm-hmm. when I'm acting in that way, it's, I'm typically not in my highest, I'm not being my highest self. I'm not doing what I would really want. So as hard as it is, sometimes it's, for me, it's like allowing that rush of emotion or that desire to react like instantaneously to like go. But it's, again, it's also harder when like you're on the subway and someone's trying to grab you like in the moment kind of um, things can are very different. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so I feel like, you know, there are other aspects of body consent that are really important. There's one that is, you know, a lot less, um, socially or societally triggering, but happens all the time, which is that people give their un, um, unasked commentary on what we're wearing. 
I mean, that happens all the time, right? I mean, we post a picture on social media and we get 10 different opinions on what we're wearing <laughs> or something like that. And, um, but it can even happen in person um, where, and we haven't asked for it. So uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about people commenting on what, how people look or don't, or whatever they think they look like on social media or versus in person, or if it's somebody you know and love, you know, are those different things for you? I feel like that's so hard. Do you know what I mean? Because I think in someone's comment, I want to believe in some way that there is like good behind it. But I'm not asking for everybody's comments at the same time. Right. And so there are some that feel welcome. There are some that feel unwelcome. And then there are the ones that like you wish you received, I think, you know, like the the affirmation or the the desire that you wish to receive too. And I feel like it's hard to because you don't get a choice in how other people kind of like we don't have you know, just as you said, like you couldn't make that person feel a certain way that other person's comment can't quite make us feel a certain way either. Meaning mm -hmm. that we still have autonomy of somebody can say something about us and it doesn't have to in be internalized. That was something that took me a long time to learn. I remember when I was younger, I tied a lot of self-esteem things to other people's opinions or feedback. And so it was heartbreaking to receive positive feedback actually about losing weight because I felt stuck in a cycle of gaining, losing, gaining, losing. So as soon as that happened, I would almost trigger anxiety instantly of like, you know, oh no, they're not going to like me when I gain weight. And I would start to minimize it. I would start to feel nervous. I would, I, I had all these other different feelings, but it was like, the thing is that that person didn't necessarily have a bad intent in telling me that they could, they could have just been saying, you look fabulous, you know? And like, and so I think, we still have to take some ownership of how we receive um, mm -hmm. what others give because it really truly is more a reflection of where they're at and what they're seeing than it is you. And we get, we still get to decide um, this is a valid opinion. This is, this is something I want to take in. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I feel like that was so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I love your response. It really reminds me of Toastmasters. Like if life was a big Toastmasters and instead of speeches, we're like presenting our physical forms, right? And in, and if for the, the listeners that don't know what Toastmasters is, it's a group for um, people that want to learn how to public speak uh, uh, in a better way. And they get feedback from the members of that group. And um, Diana's in post Toastmasters too. And I'm sure she's experienced in getting feedback that was super, super helpful. That as soon as you got it, you were like, absolutely, I'm integrating that into my speech. That's awesome. And I'm sure you've also gotten feedback where it's like, wow, that's that's like they almost didn't get the point of my speech or they didn't understand the point of my speech. Or if I implemented this into my speech, I have no idea how it would change it. Or even if I don't know how to implement this into my speech, so I'm not going to. Um, so it's, it's kind of the same thing of being selective is what I hear. Um, being able to say, you know, like this feedback really supports who I am. It really reflects um, what I'm putting out into the world and I'm going to accept this feedback. And, and then if there's other feedback that doesn't do that thing, you know, I'm not going to accept this feedback. And I think that that is really important for sure. And I also hear that, um, compliments, if we only ever hear compliments that have to do with our bodies, like, oh, your hair looks great today, or you look so beautiful, or you're, you look so thin or athletic, or look how curvy you are or whatever. It kind of pigeonholes us into always looking that way that the person commented on. And so what if we use compliments and words of affirmation for people that have nothing to do with their physical appearance? Like the things that I know about Diana is she is highly organized. She is incredibly creative. 
She is a, a wonderful leader. She's well-spoken. She's a beautiful storyteller. So those are all things that I can say about Diana. And I have no, um, no relation to her physical appearance at all. Now, she's also stunningly beautiful. Um, and, and there is that as well. Um, but it feels good to get those compliments, right, Diana, that are true and you know are about you and have nothing to do with your physical appearance. Yeah, it it, it does. And it's, thank you. Thank you so much for, for your kind words. Um, I think it is so much about, again, I, it goes back to this idea of body autonomy and being autonomy and this idea that we, we get to choose what we take in. There's a beautiful quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. She was not the most photogenic woman. I see your face. And I think you know which quote I'm talking about. Um, but like she, so she got like railed a lot of times in the press. She was a brilliant woman, tons of ideas, made a huge impact um, in our country, but got, got objectified basically, right? Or, and all that kind of things. And um, there's a quote from her that goes something like, uh, all the water in the world can't drown you unless you allow it within you. And I think mm -hmm. it's the same thing with the feedback that we receive about our bodies. And so realizing that I didn't have to take that feedback in that way, that I didn't have to feed my mind in that way, that that compliment means, oh, if I didn't meet the standard that Arla said, then I like she wouldn't love me the same way sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That we can accept the compliment without finding some form of conditional love or, you know, if it's for us. And if it's not for us, then then also honoring like that person expressed what they needed to. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that one thing that uh, you and I have in common is that we frequently dress in a way that is maybe unexpected of who people believe us to be before they actually meet us. Um, and they, and I, I don't know about you, but I've received commentary on that in my life um, about how maybe I show up in a way that is too professional or unprofessional or too masculine or too feminine or whatever, right? And I would love to see in the world for us to just accept people for how they do show up and not feel the need to comment on it so much. I mean, who gives us the right to have an opinion about what shirt Diana's wearing today or what shirt I'm wearing today and how that might be different and what message that might convey? Yeah. And still it's something that we ask ourselves. Yeah. Right? Like in, in pure honesty, it's something we still question. and. I think that there is a freedom in stepping into asking that question of ourselves less and tr like really trusting ourselves more in, in the decisions that we make around our bodies, around ourselves. And I think that it's beautiful that, um, that the younger generation is learning more of this in school. And I think that um, it, it's us really taking steps towards openness of understanding of other people instead of thinking that everybody's the same, really allowing for a, for a full rainbow of different body types, different sizes, colors, shapes, whatever that looks like. Um, and I, I think that it really is about thinking of everybody's opinion in that, which also to me sometimes means thinking about that person who means well. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to set that boundary with a person who means well um, but it's still harmful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that for me, um, this conversation brings me to a place where it's talking about, um, you know, body autonomy, our choice to wear the clothes that make us feel comfortable, independent of what gender maybe they were originally designed for, uh, independent of what size person it was originally designed for, um, independent of what race of person maybe it was in, like originally designed for, and really moving into um, wearing things that feel good to us that we like and we look at ourselves and we feel good in. 
I I agree with that. And then I wonder as well, I feel like a an interesting perspective on that too, that I was learning a little bit about was this concept that like of other people adopting other cultures or embracing other cultures. And there can be this sense of like, people have all sorts of different feelings. I'm sure you've seen where it's like this person is culturally appropriating this person. No, they're not, you know, and everybody has sort of an opinion on it. And I think that that's another kind of interesting way to think about or, or talk about um, our autonomy and, and also respect for others and all those kind of things, because when something has that sort of meaning and it feels um, disrespected, that person can have those feelings. But what if that other person that they think is disrespecting the culture, in fact, has a deep love and respect for the culture or is part of the culture in some way? And, you know, like we, we all have ideas on that. I'm curious what, if you have any thoughts or anything on it. Yeah, I I experienced being in a group once where we were talking about a cultural tradition that was specific to a culture that had been um, considered and used in like a high school graduation ceremony that was not part of those individuals' culture. And when um, two members of the culture uh, for that specific act were asked about it, one of them said, you know, um, absolutely, you know, they should do this. Like, this is something that's oriented to towards love and celebration, and it's not cultural appropriation. And in the same conversation, this another person of that same culture said, actually, it is cultural appropriation. And, um, and I would say that I wouldn't recommend that they do this um, to, to, for, as a form of their celebration. And that was really eye-opening to me um, because it, I realized in that moment that it's so individualized. Um, it's so individualized based on the person and how they view their own culture and how they interact with their own culture and their beliefs around their own culture. So it's not just the culture that they're in or were raised in or is the culture of the people of their ancestors. Um, but it's, it's also their individual interaction with their culture that then leads to um, their beliefs around these types of ideas. And I think that that's why it's so important to get multiple opinions um, and be open to perspectives. You know, you might talk to somebody that's of a specific culture about a practice that you're interested in um, and it's their culture and they may say, absolutely, go ahead and do it. And you could talk to somebody that's of that same culture and they might disagree. And, and, and both opinions are completely valid. And, and so it, it really is individualized and it's about being sensitive and compassionate um, on both sides of that discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's, it's a lot about finding compassion and discussion with an understanding that nobody's getting it right, that we're all trying to do our very best. Um, and that we, that, Yes, one person can think of it this way, and it has a lot to do with that individual person's experiences as well. And so it's, it's impossible to like fully invalidate that experience for them of racism or, um, or discrimination or whatever it kind of looks like because it's, it's experiential. Brian, my husband, he works, at, um, he works at a restaurant in the Nordstrom here, and here in Hawaii, Part of the custom is to give people or offer people chopsticks when when they eat, whether it doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, that everybody gets offered chopsticks. And there have been folks who've traveled from the mainland who get offered chopsticks and think that it's an it's a racist attack or that like somebody's trying to make a comment or something like that. And and here in Hawaii, that that really is just the culture that everybody gets asked if do you want chopsticks? <laughs> um mm-hmm. And so it is really this experiential thing. And it's not about invalidating that person who had that experience. 
it's I think that they also need to to feel that and see that, but perhaps also can see and be open to the idea that, oh, I received this in this way, but that wasn't necessarily the intent. Yeah. And then it's also, I think, important for the person who, you know, offers the chopsticks and it's negatively received to, you know, honor the fact that even though it's their intention to be welcoming and offer this thing to everybody that comes in because it's part of the Hawaiian culture here, um, to honor the fact that the person is having a negative experience, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's where intent becomes less important, right? So it's it's, it's both. It's absolutely both. And I think that what that comes down to for me in my experience and my humanness is just being open-minded and gentle. You know, I went the other day um, to have something laminated at the print shop and it happened to have a heat sensitive sticker on it, which I didn't recognize. And the person that was laminating the thing didn't recognize. And so when they laminated it, that heat sensitive sticker turned totally black and ruined the thing that it was laminated on, (laughs) which is a big deal. It was a really big deal thing. And I had that moment of like, Oh my gosh, how could they do this in my mind? And then I, and then I immediately went to, they had no idea. They would never intentionally do this um, to harm this document or to harm me in any way. And I just looked up at the guy. He looks so scared. You know, like, obviously, he's had a lot of people react negatively when mistakes have been made. And I said, wow, I didn't know that it would do that either. Did you? And he said, no, I didn't. And I said, well, I guess I'll just have to figure out how to get fixed. (laughs) I mean, because I knew that he hadn't done it intentionally. And I also knew that he felt remorse like he felt bad that it had happened even though he had done everything that he knew to do um and it just this one aspect of it didn't work out and so um but I want to say that it's not always easy to come up with that graceful answer it's not always easy and just as much as we want to be gentle with the other person we have to be gentle with ourselves too yeah, I, what I'm hearing from you over all Arliss is that it really has to do with that response in the moment and some open-mindedness, willingness for growth, kindness, like, and that is not easy in that moment, uh, but that it's, it's a choice to respond as opposed to simply react that allows for us to have a different experience than the one that we've already seen, had, and don't want to have again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that I feel like we can do for ourselves around consent around our bodies is take some time to individually either write out or type out or just in our minds, come up with what our boundaries are. What do you think of that idea? I like that because I think it's everyone is allowed to have their own, you know, and it's It's something that simply by defining them or deciding what they are, that that in and of itself can be emboldening, you know, just to know like, yeah, these are, this is how I feel about my body. And I think sometimes we just operate in this either where we, we receive or accept what we're given as opposed to really defining what we want. And so I think it's a, it's a great exercise for, um, for defining it and really seeing it, Yes, as a boundary, but also as something that we're fully embodying, right? Like this is who we get to be. Um, sometimes boundaries feel like we're cutting people out. And I think that we want to definitely have that energy and feeling of, no, this, this is defining me in a way that feels empowering and really good. Um, so, yeah. So, like, as we're setting the boundaries, setting them in a way that energetically feels, feels empowering versus, um, versus blocking. Absolutely. Do you, can you think of a boundary that you might have around consent around your body um, that you feel is really empowering to you? Yeah. 
which is kind of strange though. Okay. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier, I had a, a lot of challenge around how other people received my body. And I took a lot of that. I, I took that message, internalized it. It meant to me, I'm good. I'm not good or any of those sort of things. And I felt very, very sensitive to other people's responses to my body. And I realized that if I really was living the life I wanted to, I couldn't respond in that way. That's not the way that I wanted to if, like, to have a life I wanted. I, did, I could not shrink when somebody said I, I looked good and then end up just gaining weight. I'd end up in a cycle. I'd, I wouldn't be able to get out of it. So I had to come up with a different means of response. And I thought about how I wanted to respond if somebody said that, and I, you know, it, it took me time to get to a place where even being able to smile and say thank you could be genuine and didn't feel scary or uncomfortable or trigger those thoughts. But it was really living in that and, and working more and more on appreciating that. And also thinking about how my body would be received by other people. So if, uh, if people were leering at you or responding in that sort of way, realizing that there could be a part of me of my subconscious being that recognizes the unsafety or the lack of safety in that and encourages me in some way or allows me to hold extra weight and that more than I'm struggling to lose for example um and so I needed to get to a place where I didn't have that sort of reaction regardless of how somebody else responded to my body, whether they were leering because of what I was wearing, or, you know, not because of what I was wearing, but, um, but you know, if, whether they were leering or like whatever, having this reaction of still feeling safe in my body and still feeling ownership of my body and, and knowing how I wanted to respond in that situation was, was important. I had to define that for myself to have that kind of mindset shift around my body. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. And I think that that's a really important thing um, because, you know, you touched on some really key things like how we subconsciously or consciously might be changing our physical appearance in order to be more accepted or more safe. Um, and I know for me that um, you know, when I changed my appearance to look more masculine and I gained weight, which was not a purposeful thing, not consciously anyway, um, but it, it made me look less feminine, right? Um, I felt safer as a deputy coroner. I felt more accepted as a deputy coroner. I, I didn't fear, I didn't fear going into situations as much. Um, because I didn't feel like I would be easily taken advantage of in some way. And, and what I mean by that is just like, you know, I would go into really, really rough neighborhoods, um, where if there was a potential to, you know, get shoved around or something like that. And when I was bigger, I felt safer. I felt like that was less likely to happen. And actually it was less likely to happen. And so um, I see the importance of now, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of the same work, um, divesting myself from those like knee jerk internal reactions to people's reactions to my body and really staying focused on how I feel about my body. And yet I still have those moments where I kind of question myself. I mean, right before we got on this, um, call, I asked you like, Hey, do you find the writing on my shirt distracting? You know, should I change my shirt? And I asked your opinion, right? Whereas I know I trust myself. I, I feel comfortable in what I'm wearing. And yet in that moment, I asked your opinion. Um, and I do value you as a friend and I value your, um, your feedback to me, but it's just a reminder that I still have those moments of self-doubt and and maybe they're much smaller than they used to be, um, but there's still work to do. And I I wasn't going to put us on blast, but since you mentioned yourself, I did the same thing when I talked about my shirt, and I was like, eh, I'd be wearing something different if I didn't if I didn't feel like I had to. And I think that's mm -hmm. just a very interesting feeling that we have sometimes, and I think it's it's something for us to honor. 
that like we all are really working on this and it's okay for us to be where we're at. It's about the continual work to get to get to this place of greater body acceptance and also clarity on what it is that we really want for our bodies. I do want to mention one last thing too, because I think it's important that as we're as we're young, you know, you talked about being a teenager and having um having your body objectified and seen as older. It, it is really important that as we're forming our body autonomy, that we are very mindful of, of how we are forming that. Because we, going through that, we will make some mistakes and we, we, do, we definitely deserve grace through that process. Um, but we want to think as well about like some of the longer term effects of some of the conscious decisions that we make because the things that we do to our bodies leave a lasting mark. Absolutely. And, and what that brings up for me is, you know, once I understood what was going on with that objectification and sexualization, I then used that as a power place for a long time. Um, and, you know, knowing that I could uh, attract people to me or feel like I have the upper hand in some way through being, um, you know, sexualizing my body in some way, either by what I wore or whatever that was. And it took me a long time to be able to step out of that role and in a healthy way, uh, wear clothes that were sexy, but not for those same reasons. or wear a bikini or, um, you know, be flirty with my partner and not for those same power play reasons. And so I hear you, it can, you know, those decisions that we make at a young age, um, it can take a long time to move away from that. And there are still times now in my, you know, in my thirties, when I, I get dressed to go to somewhere and I still check myself, I still you know, check in with myself. And I'm like, did I just put on this dress that has a split up the thigh because I'm really excited to wear this dress and I feel really beautiful in this dress? Or is it for some other kind of power play reason? And, you know, and I might always ask myself that question on occasion. I don't know. I think that's a great question because again, it does point to consent, our bodies, autonomy, making these decisions really consciously, whatever the decision is. Because what I'm hearing both of us say is that whatever the decision is, make it consciously and make it um, make it in a way that feels good and right for, for you. Absolutely. And, you know, Diana and I both are on the mo- more exposing end of the spectrum of clothing choices. And, um, but all of this applies for the more covered up clothing choices too. If, you know, if you're a listener and you feel more comfortable wearing a shirt that has a collar up to your neck and long sleeves and long pants, and that's what you feel comfortable in. And that is what you feel beautiful in. Um, then, then that's, you know, that's what you should be choosing. You should, and that I think is what the message is, is. Um, choose what works for you, what you feel good in, what you feel represents who you are um, in a mindful way. Yeah, I love that. Oh, what a great topic. I, I feel like this hour just like flew by and we got a lot of different ideas and um, talked about, you know, conservative dress, like, you know, more more sexy kind of dress, all these different topics. Um, how men objectify or yeah, how men objectify women. There's also how women can even objectify men, but I think that, you know, we only have so much more time. So I do also want to get talking a little bit about our guest next week. So I'm not, I've never met her before. Can you tell us a little bit about our guest next week, Arliss? Yeah. So our guest next week is Stacey Provost. And she is an entrepreneur here on the Big Island of Hawaii. And she is going to be talking to us about body positivity from the perspective of someone who's dating and how that has changed throughout her life. 
I love that. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I think um, that's something that many of us, again, like kind of going into the acceptance that we talked about today or, or dressing for someone else or um, dressing for a power play. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's a really brilliant topic. Um, anything else that we want to, what would be your closing thought, Arliss, for today? Yeah, my closing thought is take the time to really think about what your boundaries would be for your body and consent around your body, whether that is in words or in physical touch. And, and really have a solid understanding of that so that you know when your boundaries have been crossed. And then role play with yourself what your response would be in those different situations um, so that you have some mental and some physical muscle memory around what you might want to say or do. I love that. I think that that's a great um, practical tip. What about you, Diana? Uh, I think it would be to allow for feedback to be something that you receive without again, allowing it into you and recognizing that you still get to set, as Arliss is talking about, a boundary on what you allow in. And so you can receive a compliment and appreciate it and, and, and enjoy it without feeling some form of strings attached or conditional kind of thing. You can look at it in a way that feels a little more freeing and allows it to just be what it is instead of, um, instead of getting it overly complicated. Absolutely. And I, I'd like awesome. to finish by saying, wear what's fun. Wear what you enjoy. I like that. Yes, definitely wear what's fun. Wear what makes you feel good. Because I think that too often we, we make choices that are not us feeling good. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Diana, again, for joining me um, and doing this podcast together. It is such a joy and like you said the last hour just flew by and we have so much more to talk about in the coming weeks <laughs> i look forward to it thanks Arliss.